In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your faith in our modern world of today. And we brought back a familiar face this week, Monica Dumit. Welcome back to the Catholic Toolbox. Thank you so much for having me back. Great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. And uh, the last time we spoke, uh, we were discussing the Plenary Council and uh, what a great success that was. And uh, and uh, I think a lot of things happened since since last year, since the plenary council and um, the passing of His Eminence, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict the Sixteenth, and and your recent appointment. That's why we're here to talk about your recent appointment uh, as uh, as another voice for women uh, within the church, represented outwards, you know, on an ecumenical level. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's really exciting. So uh, late last year, I was appointed to the New South Wales government's uh, Religious Affairs Advisory Council. Mm-hmm. So that shows 15 uh, people who they identified as faith leaders uh, from across the state. Uh, I think six Christian, nine non-Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of those 15, I'm one of only two women. There's a Buddhist lady on there as well. So I'm the only Christian woman on the council. I'm the only Catholic. Uh, so uh, it's a bit of a, a bit of a big responsibility, but I'm delighted uh, to be on that council. We've had our first meeting already and um, we might talk about this a bit later, but uh, we've already started rattling some cages about things like conversion therapy uh, and other things like that mm-hmm. that have come up yeah. in the news in recent weeks. We'll definitely get into that, uh, but we want to explain to our listeners what is what does this role entail? Uh, what is the advisory council? What's what's the entire point of it? Why was it formed initially? And then why were you selected out of all people to represent the the voice of women in the church? Uh, so it, I guess a number of um a number of answers to that. Uh, firstly, it, one of the things that is that we've come to find when dealing with uh, the government on any range of issues is that there's no single minister who is responsible for people of faith. And one of the things that we found, particularly during COVID, is that when we had issues with restrictions, and and obviously you would remember and others watching would remember, that churches and other places of worship were treated quite disproportionately uh, to other similar venues. So you had this bizarre situation where 
pubs and clubs and restaurants and cafes had fewer restrictions than churches than churches did on the grounds that churches were somehow more dangerous. Um, and so what it really spoke to is that there was a religious illiteracy amongst those making the decisions. They had no idea what was occurring at mass or at um, other liturgical events. And it was hard to find the right person to sort of make representations to. Do you make them to health? Do you make them to uh, multicultural affairs? Uh, is there someone else that you should be speaking with? And so what COVID identified was that there was a real gap in religious groups as a whole and as a collective being able to speak with government. Um, through that process and through other issues where uh, people of faith across different Christian groups and even across sort of our Islamic, Jewish, uh, Buddhist and Hindu brothers and sisters, uh, where we had common interests, whether it was around religious discrimination. Uh, for those who don't know, it's still perfectly legal to discriminate against somebody in New South Wales on the basis of their religious belief or activity. So George, if you went into a shop and they identified you as a Catholic, they could turn you away and say, sorry, we don't serve Catholics in here and there's nothing uh, that you would be able to do about it. So if they turned you away because you were male, married, or anything like that, then you might have grounds to um, object. But if they turned you away on the basis of your religious belief, no problem. So we've sort of come together over issues like that, uh, conscience protections when it comes to euthanasia and abortion and, and any other number of issues. So there was already a significant group of us who had been used to working each other, working with each other collaboratively uh, on a, a range of issues. And then finally just said to the government, uh, and to the opposition, look, we want somebody who we can pick up the phone and call when we have a problem. Yeah. And we don't we don't want to be passed around from minister to minister, to, from department to department. Um, we want somebody who actually has a responsibility. So from that, uh, the government announced its Religious Affairs Council and they took applications, um, they advertised for applications and and invited people to apply and nominate themselves for a role. I have to say I was a little bit reluctant to nominate myself. I thought that I probably shouldn't. And then I got prodded a few times by a few different people to put a, a nomination in. So I did on the very last day. Uh, and then not, not long after I got uh, a phone call from the Minister for Multicultural Affairs um, to say that I had been selected and invited to be a part of this. Uh, what the role of this co committee is, it's difficult to say. So we've only had one meeting so far, but what our ask to the government is, and to the opposition, uh, if they end up winning the election in March, is that we'll be consulted on policy before it actually becomes policy. Like there's something to, okay, we've announced that we're gonna pursue euthanasia, we're going to pursue changes to anti-discrimination laws or something like that, and having religious groups respond. We don't think that that's the best outcome, that that provides the best outcome for anybody. What we would like to see is actually being brought in the, on the conversation before those policies are developed, before those laws are announced, uh, and being able to form policy back there, just, you know, in the same way that, um, that other groups are invited to consult and do things like that. I think that providing a united voice to government is actually beneficial. I mean, so it's a really a step in the right direction that we've never had before, where we could consult all religions uh, together on policies that may affect them. 
They, the question I have for you is what if that different, obviously different religions have different stances or moral issues. How will that be logistically resolved um, when the government's trying to get a holistic view uh, for its policy making? Yeah, great, great question. And that's something we've wrestled with. Uh, a couple of things is as a group, we've agreed amongst ourselves that we will, um, I guess we will bucket things into things we support, things that we actually don't care about either way, but if it's important to another group, we're willing to back it. Um, and then things we disagree on. So we try to be generous and support issues that are important to other faith groups, even if they don't particularly have effect with our own group. Um, and then if we disagree, at least amongst ourselves, we're able to clarify those issues and clarify the areas in which we disagree uh, and present them to government so that at least we have a consensus on our, yeah, on our points exactly. of agreement and on our points of disagreement. It's better than, not, try having, to narrow them. It's better than not having a committee at all uh, together you know, supporting the little areas where you agree, where you disagree, something which collectively, like, like COVID restrictions, uh, which affected everybody. Why did why did some places get um, concessions like pubs and religions uh, didn't? And then it could be a platform for discussing if something's a religious obligation for us or not. I mean, it, it puts us a step forward. It's definitely, it's, it's not going to be perfect, but it's definitely a step forward. Absolutely. And, um, and uh, look, one of the great uh, voices on this group is actually the president of the Imams Council, uh, who I count as a friend. And one of the things he often says is, this is about faith generally. And some of the attacks that we see are an attack on faith and they don't actually care which faith they're attacking. And so together we're standing up, yes, for our own uh, religious beliefs and our own religious community, but also for the presence of faith communities and their value um, more broadly. Uh, an attack on one, uh, an attempt to limit the rights of one is really an attack or an attempt to limit the rights of all of us. And so we try to be very generous amongst ourselves and in how we deal with these things. Well, you know, not papering over our differences. And if there are differences of opinion, then we highlight those, but we try to make them as clear as possible. So at least the government know what they're dealing with. Excellent. And that's that's amazing. And let's talk a bit about your role specifically uh, representing uh, representing um, the church. So you're representing the Catholic Church on that and mm -hmm. the significance that you have as a woman. You know, it's, it's great to see women take up leadership positions in the church. Um, I'm an advocate for that. Uh, we're seeing more women in the right positions in the church. Uh, and um, a little bit of a t your take on the fact that you're a woman representing the church uh, rather than having a cleric, um, a, a cleric uh, represent, <laughs> be, be on that representative council. Well, look, I, let me start off by saying I would have no problem with a cleric being on this representative council. Um, I'm delighted to be on there, but I know many you know, good and faithful and, and intelligent and wise priests who would be uh, absolutely able uh, to represent on here. Um, that being said, I, you know, I, it's my full-time job to be following matters of policy, law, politics, what's going on in the courts and everything like that. My hope is that while our, you know, our priests will have a working knowledge of everything that's happening, there's also bigger things on their plate than um, the minutiae of 
anti-discrimination laws and, and things like that. I always say to our priests, you know, what I want to do is, is I want to worry about these things so that you can just go out there and minister um, and do what you were ordained to do. I don't want you to worry about the seal of confession. I'll fight that seal. You just go hear confessions. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want you to worry about restrictions on free speech when it comes to what you can preach. I just want you to go and preach the truth as Christ commanded you to do. And I'll worry about the consequences in anti-discrimination law and and fight those things. Um, And so that's how that's how I see my role in this, whether I'm male, female, cleric, lay, it doesn't matter. But that's really my role to try and make as much space for our priests, for our lay evangelists, for our other lay ministries to go out there and to proclaim Christ. There's no point in representing religion at a political level if my focus isn't that we can proclaim Christ to the world, right? We're not defending religion for the sake of defending religion. We're defending it so that people can come to know and love Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with him, um, and and to spend eternity with him in heaven right like and and so i i see my role here is trying to make space for that rather than just i don't know making a name for myself um politically or anything like that and that's a beautiful thing about the second vatican council um in lumen gentium where it speaks about the universal call to holiness and and how lay people are called to action more especially after the council now uh, to do things that were traditionally done by clerics uh, representing on these committees. Back in the past, you'd see more clerics, you know, the, the clergy on there. But now, as you said perfectly, you articulated well, that the priests can worry about their intrinsic role, which is to minister the sacraments, pastorally be there for people, celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass, while you go out there as a layperson in the world and fight for these causes on a political and bureaucratic level. I mean, it's, it's the perfect harmony uh, a way for us to work um, in the church, not replacing each other's roles, but uh, the, the cleric embracing his role more fully. And we take up our role as laity where we can um, and leave the rest up to the clergy that's uh, for their area. So that, that that's absolutely amazing. And, and let's talk a little bit about the role of women in, in the church. Do you think you represent <laughs> the majority of Catholic women uh, women uh, in representing uh, on this council? Oh, look, that that's a big one. I I, I hope I represent um, Catholics more broadly rather than just Catholic women. Um, certainly, I know that there would be, you know, some Catholic women and some Catholic men who don't have the same political views. Uh, as as I do and wouldn't be necessarily advocating at a political level for the same things that I would be. Um, but again, really, it's about the, the primary goal is really making space for faith um, and making space for faith communities. Uh, we talk about, say, religious freedom legislation. You in your own ministry, in your own patch of the Catholic world, may or may not choose to avail yourself of the particular freedoms that, that we're talking about. But I'd, I'd like to make sure they're there just in case you need them. So um, I guess well, all I'm trying to do is advocate for the broadest possible space for religion in the public square. Um, you might, people might disagree about whether or not religion needs that much of a broad space, but hopefully what I'm doing is not hindering anybody in their ministry and in their way of, um, in, their, in their way of preaching, in their call to evangelize, to go make disciples. Um, 
one of the things I'll say about sort of the relationship between myself as a woman in a role like this and the clergy is that I can't tell you, George, the support I get from our priests. It's just extraordinary. Um, I don't think there's, you know, a day or, you know, a, or a couple of days that go past without, you know, one of our wonderful priests just checking in, you know, the occasional message of, you know, I'm praying for you, offered mass for you today, something like that. Um, it's really nice to know that I have that, that support going out and doing this because ultimately what I'm trying to do is, again, is to make space for them and for their ministry. Um, at the same time, if they have questions on how a, how one of these particular laws or policies might affect what they're doing, if they want to preach about it, something like that, hopefully I can provide them with that information. And so even though we're in separate roles, we work together uh, on a lot of these issues as well. I think you said before, a great complementarity between male and female, between uh, the laity and the ordained. Um, there's not, I, some people tend to see this is sort of a zero sum game. If I'm doing something, then I'm taking something away from the role of a priest or vice versa. Actually, there's enough for all of us to do. And, and hopefully if I do my job well, that increases and expands the role of a priest um, and doesn't diminish it and, um, and vice versa. And it, I mean, it, it's just absolutely amazing to have uh, that representation. It, it, it was a great initiative, I think, and we'll continue praying for that initiative uh, that's going forward uh, to the government so we can better be represented but let's go on to other issues uh, in the church today especially which have coincided with um with the passing of his eminence cardinal pell and uh i remember seeing you there in the church uh i think you were ushering there and uh, and what's your let, let's pause for a moment and recollect ourselves about the life and legacy of his eminence cardinal george pell and the events that are now following after, we can discuss shortly. Yeah, where to start? Um, <laughs> what an amazing, what, what an amazing man. Um, I would have to say that I wouldn't be here uh, if not for the Cardinal and, and for his influence. I, I think the first time I properly heard him speak was maybe about 2006, 2007 at a Theology on Tap. And I remember he got up and said something like, you know, we have to make um, the case for Catholicism in the public square. And that's a job that's particularly on you young people. And I'm addressing all of you, but I'm, I'm addressing you young women in particular. And he said, um, so get out there and make the case for Catholicism in the public square, but you need to know what you're talking about. So that means if you've got your first university degree and your second university degree, that you should go back and keep studying and, you know, go learn something about economics as well, because sometimes Catholics are criticised for not knowing our not knowing our numbers. And so I was sitting in the audience, I was, you know, all of about 25 at the time. I had two university degrees and I was like, oh, I can do that. So I went <laughs> like a week later, enrolled in a finance course and then um, a master's of bioethics. And within sort of a, a few months of finishing that, got invited to start working on communication for the Archdiocese and then ultimately now um, a number of years later in the role that I'm currently in um, and at every point uh, as I was sort of making different steps along this path his eminence would uh, would encourage me would in my cause would occasionally quite bluntly tell me how I could do it better um, but god rest him I, I I just I'm you know I'm tr I'm trying to raise my voice in the public square because 
I, I want to be like him. And he, he did that very, very well. The, the greatest thing I admire about Cardinal George Pell and inspires me personally is his resilience in the public square. He's not intimidated by the left. He's not intimidated by people who disagree with him. And he's not, he wasn't self-conscious about negative media attention. I think we should learn that. We, we, should, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't care too much. We shouldn't let it get to us. He didn't take himself too seriously. That's what we love about the Cardinal. And I think there's a lot to be taken from there. And um, he's just a, a spectacular um, personality that we're, I think we can all aspire to be like. And uh, and let's let's move on to, I mean, the passing of his eminence, and now there's a new issue that's popped up that you should probably mention and bring up, and and, and uh, what is that? I, I don't know how to explain my own words. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I, I've got look. I've got two. Um, uh, I'll start with conversion therapy. So, oh, okay. Oh, which is sorry, which issue were you talking about? Is that converting to the Catholic faith? How we convert? <laughs> I wish I have no problem with that. Um, so <laughs> it's not that okay. There's uh, a few of the other states around Australia uh, have imposed um, what they call bans on uh, so-called conversion therapy, and when they describe it in the media, it's always something like, "Here's this, here's this poor guy who's who's same-sex attracted, and then uh, someone tried." electroshock therapy on him to change him from same-sex attracted to heterosexual or you know here's this religious group who tried to do some you know very violent exorcisms exorcisms on him to to change his orientation or something like that uh, so that's really how they they talk about this in in the media and when trying to sell this type of legislation but um, any serious Catholic, any serious Christian would say that those types of practices are against the dignity of the human person uh, and their own freedom, and, and that's not something that we would do. But the laws that they actually put in place go much broader than that. And what they actually try to ban is any attempt, any attempt um, to encourage chastity, whether uh, within sort of heterosexual relationships or, or homosexual ones. So. George, if you were tempted to cheat on your wife and you went to a priest and said, look, I'm, I'm really tempted um, to cheat on my wife, but I, I want to stay true to my marriage vows. Can you help me? These types of laws would, would ban you getting any help for that. So currently in Victoria, if you went to a priest and said, look, um, please pray for me so that I can stay true to my vows, if the priest actually did that, he would be um, liable to go to prison or, or be fined. Uh, it would it would outlaw ministries like Courage, which um, encourage and assist and walk with um, people with same sex attraction uh, to live a life of chastity. Disturbing so is this concerning? Sorry to stop you there, but is this concerning just homosexuality, or or some no, sexual the... orientation, and we're trying to uh, convert uh, against that, or try to persuade them against that, or does that concern any sexuality or any sexual situation? It depends on how the laws are drafted, but in Victoria, it's it's any sexual situation, any sexual attraction. So being um, faithful to your wife or um, so you going out of your own will and asking for the help. Yeah. And if somebody not, not, not just simply, OK, someone coming out of their way and saying, hey, let me help you or a priest saying you should be faithful to your wife. It's me with my own 
free religious freedom seeking out that religious instruction yep e even even the, the laws that alex greenish talk is talking about um that he wants to put in new south wales would even affect what can be preached about this so if you got up and said if someone got up and said you know adultery is a sin um homosexual activity is a sin that that would be seen even you know in a, in a church full of people not even one-on-one -on -one, that would be seen as something contrary to uh to these laws so essentially while they while they try to market themselves as well we're trying to stop all of these egregious electroshock therapy and things like that what they're actually trying to do is outlaw religious teaching and Christian teaching on sexual morality and sexual ethics. Um, but that's that the apply to them preaching against our, uh, uh, let's say, Catholic religious uh, beliefs, where <laughs> we would be offended if they preached against. Uh, could, could we pull the string the other way? No, George, you know these things. They only go one they way, can... right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so look, that's. That's on the cards in New South Wales at the moment, um, and it will be an election issue. So stay tuned for that and and for ways in which you can make your voice heard. And so really what you're saying is Catholics are under moral obligation, listening to this now, to take action and ask every single uh, member of their electorate what their stance is on conversion therapy. Ab absolutely. And look, we'll try to make that easier for you in the Catholic Weekly and other places and try to advertise when we get questions on, when we get information on this, we're gonna be publishing it. So you know well where the parties stand uh, and where individual candidates stand on this issue. So that's- um, This is very much relevant to where you are positioned with all other religions. Now, this is, this, is, this is quite useful at this stage. Let's harken back a little bit to your role on the advisory council. Is this being discussed at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So this announcement came out on Friday and we were all, you know, had several phone calls amongst each other and Zooms and things like that. And again, trying to make a united representation to say, look, this is something that we're on a unity ticket about. Um, and you're going to have a problem, not just with, with one faith group, but with all of us, uh, if you push ahead with these. And, and we need to be consulted because again, kind of like the COVID thing, there's a real illiteracy when it comes to religion and what what prayer is and what conversion is. Um, the idea of conversion seems to be a dirty word uh, amongst, you know, politicians, amongst um, amongst health professionals and others. But please God, we're all being converted every single day and being conformed to Christ, right? Like that conversion is not a dirty word. Um, that's what we want. Uh, we want converted hearts, um, converted lives. And so it's even just explaining things like that um the, the this religious affairs council and and faith leaders more generally have a real role in doing uh to so make sure whoever that... clearly uh, whether it's an individual candidate or whether it's a party or whether uh, uh, if they align with this it should be the uh, it should be the duty of anyone of faith collaboratively extrapolating what you're saying from that that collaboration there to to vote against this and campaign against this mm. And, and George, that's only even half of it. It also gets to all of the gender identity stuff as well. So it's not just sexual orientation, it's gender identity, and particularly where, where it comes to kids. So again, the examples in Victoria, uh, anything except affirming a child in their gender dysphoria and sort of pushing them through uh, the transition 
would be seen as conversion therapy. So if you said to a child, look, why don't you just wait and see? No, actually, I think there are probably some other underlying issues that we need to deal with that um, might be leading to your gender dysphoria or something like that. All of that would be prohibited under the law as well. So it's not just the, you know, the sexual activity stuff and the sexual attraction stuff. It's gender identity as well. Um, I keep saying this isn't a religious freedom issue necessarily. It's a child safety one. We've seen overseas what happens when they push kids through these processes um, of gender transition, puberty blockers, hormone treatment, and thing like things like that too early. Uh, and so, so what this has is all been, for our up. listeners who aren't aware, what have been the negative effects? Like for example, it's in the United States at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. What have been the negative effects of pushing kids through this process? So, well, one of the most remarkable cases comes out of the U- the UK and this young woman who went to a gender clinic, had gender dysphoria. They pushed her through on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. She's now infertile, um, regrets the transition, took, took the, the clinic to court and said, you shouldn't have actually allowed this to happen. And the court initially decided that this young woman didn't have the ability to consent to this medical treatment. How can a 14 or 15 year old really understand what they're consenting to when they're taking drugs that might stop their fertility and, and, you know, even kids younger than that. And so in the UK, this main gender clinic is now closed while it's being investigated um, because of, uh, of just pushing kids through and putting them on puberty blockers and, and hormone treatment. So, while the UK and, and other places are closing their gender clinics, uh, we're getting laws pushed here in Australia that would just try and stream kids through them. Um, 10 years ago, you were getting maybe six kids a year presenting to these gender clinics with gender dysphoria. Now you're getting hundreds and hundreds a year. So there's a real social contagion to this that needs to be explored before we start what is really experimental treatment on kids? No one knows the long-term effects on on doing this to kids because it hasn't been around long enough. Well, I think the one objective effect is that if we muck around with a particular generation, we can they can be much easier to manipulate, um, you know, by be, uh, by people, and uh, and it, it just leads to a social catastrophe, a social mm-hmm. catastrophe. That's the underlying despite the other problems absolutely absolutely and you know kids deserve better than that they don't they don't deserve to be the victims of ideology but let's come Um, back to the the, this is an issue of religious freedom and this is a consequence of uh this is a consequence of uh not being able to express our religious views upon our own children forget about uh, other people everyone has the freedom whether they want to go through gender dysphoria, whether they want to be uh, live out whatever and have have custody over their own children, this is a religious liberty issue. Absolutely, it it absolutely is. Um, and because not only is it is it about religion, but it's also about in putting the authority of the state over and above the authority of parents. Yeah. Um, and we know that, you know, what do, they, what do they say? If you want to destroy a society, attack the So basically, this is restricting our religious freedom. So yeah, basically. priests won't be able to get up in a homily and say, well, uh, you shouldn't cheat on your wives. 
And if you are, come back to confession. Or don't cheat on your wives. And uh, that would be considered conversion. Yeah, well, look, that, that would be the argument that would be made. So at least a priest who got up to say that would risk uh, having a complaint made against him. So an imam uh, and who might stand up or a, or, a, or a rabbi or any other religion who might say something to persuade others to live a certain way could be conversion therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, they might not prosecute every case, but every time you get up and say something like that, you're going to be running the risk that someone is going to make a complaint about you and you're going to be dragged through a human rights process or... Uh, some other I know like I know in Australia we don't have religious liberty we don't have no, the don't. United States of America I think that's the United States we don't have freedom of speech in our constitution no what freedoms do we have that <laughs> that, that go against this so very few actually so we don't the the way the constitution's written and and the um the freedom of religion section there the High Court has said that that only applies to federal laws and not to state laws. So the state is free to restrict your religious practice. Um, and when it comes to speech, the only freedom of speech we have is in relation to, to political communication. So basically what they will say is that in terms of freedom of religion, you're allowed to hold a belief internally and no one can take that away from you. So I can't I can't police your thoughts, um, at least not yet, but I can police you manifesting them either in speech or in, in action, in word or deed. Yeah. Um, uh, your only inalienable right is to actually hold the religious belief in your head. Okay, well, does this law contradict itself by trying to impose on our, uh, trying to uh, conduct conversion therapy on us not to do conversion therapy? <laughs> it's like relative uh, look, yeah look i um it's a it's a tough one like like i said before this these types of laws go one way right the, the ultimate goal let's be honest is to outlaw christian belief on marriage and sexuality like that that's it right that's really what the the desired effect of these laws are whatever you whatever or, or you could say the all the natural, the natural law. law. Exactly right. Exactly which right. Muslims, which affects Jews, which affects everybody else who hold to them, hold to traditional marriage and uh, have and have their beliefs in the natural law. But the funny thing is that you can't you can't ban the natural law, right? It still it still exists. Whether you like it or not, whether you try to outlaw it or not, the natural law will always be will always be written on the human heart. Will always be it will always exist in nature. Um, so it's a strange and, and dare I say, diabolical thing, George. I think, I think really? Pope Benedict is right when he says uh, the Antichrist, we pray that uh, God gives us shepherds, strong shepherds, to fight the Antichrist uh, who, who, who is spreading. I mean, this is not a conspiracy. This is not a, this is, this is a Pope who's seen much of the history of the church he's seen the church internally externally i think these are wise words this i think this is this is the battle this is the start of the great persecution again and this is attested to the weakness and cowardice of catholics as pope pius x uh, articulated 
I think the important thing is, in terms of that, is that the, the solution here isn't going to be political. So we actually... Let's talk about practical solutions. Um, <laughs> actually, or, or we'll leave the practical solutions. We'll get into the separate issue that you wanted to discuss, but I'll let you continue there about um, uh, the political solution. Well, we're just, we're just going to have to learn to live in exile, right? We're going to have to... It's not like voting in one government or another government is going to change any of this. Uh, we're going to have to be faithful. We're going to have to be people of good character, um, of truth, of beauty, of goodness. We're going to have to live our own family life and, and married life in a way that gives witness to, to what we believe. Um, we're going to have to be intentional about the friends our kids have and the families we mix with, the parishes we go to and everything. So like this that. may actually be a very good thing. We, we will live and preach by our living. We're going to have to. We're going to have to. If, if you know, the, you're going to have people subpoenaing homilies and things like that uh, and trying to restrict what's said in, in parishes uh, and, and from the pulpit, then they might be able to do that. They're not going to be able to restrict the witness of your life and of your marriage. So exactly. that's the way we're going to do it. That's the way we're going to pass on the faith. We're going that's, to have to be intentional in about end, That's in the end how we will win because mm -hmm. I think people aren't stupid. Most people at the majority, the silent majority are not stupid. They see the issues and they don't hold to these agendas. And I think that in the end will prevail with the majority and then we can take back the culture. Absolutely. And and look, it's a it's a long game, right? Like we, I think we also have to give up the idea necessarily that we're going to see fruits in our lifetime. Um, our job is really to preserve as much as we can, uh, like the monks in the Dark Ages, um, to preserve the libraries and, you know, that our equivalent of the libraries uh, so that future generations can, can reap, please God, our perseverance um, and our fidelity uh, by God's grace. But... Um, the idea that somehow we're going to be able to overturn these in five or ten years, uh, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that's the case. We're just going to have to keep keep at it, and uh, like the cardinal used to say, right? Like just keep fighting, just just keep punching on. Let's talk about the other issue that's pressing that was on your mind. Um... Sure. Um, so the other one that's come up is. There's currently an, an inquiry going on um, from the Australian Law Reform Commission into religious exemptions and um, and schools. So uh, basically what they're looking at is how our schools deal with issues of marriage, of sexual orientation, gender identity, and other things like that um, when it comes to teachers and students. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Law Reform Commission pulled out a, a consultation paper to give some idea of, of what they're proposing and the direction that they're planning on, on recommending to the government. Um, and it's extraordinary. So what it will say, or what it says is that um, no discrimination will be allowed uh, against students on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, which means that uh, you'd have to allow kids to, to freely transition in, in classes and give them the appropriate things like use of names and pronouns and uniforms and sporting teams and bathrooms and camping facilities and all of those types of things, right? And, and that would just be a no-brainer. We shall see how practical that will be. 
<laughs> and then um and then over and above that uh pretty much the same rule for teachers so if your child's kindergarten teacher decides that they they want to transition in you know halfway through the year then the school will have to allow that um what that does for parents who want to who don't think that their children should necessarily be exposed to ideas of gender fluidity when they're still learning how to tie their shoelaces um doesn't seem to doesn't seem to matter one of the most interesting things one of the most interesting and and probably alarming proposals is that it says that while a religious school might be will still be allowed to require their religion teachers to teach religious doctrine on um, marriage and sexuality and things like that they will not be able to prevent the religion teacher from teaching alternate views if they want so even in even in religion class when they're talking about marriage about the appropriate place for sexual activity and everything like that you can require them to teach catholic teaching but then at the same time the teacher can then go and say okay well that's that's the outdated you know backward thinking of the catholic church but now let me tell you what it's like in real modern society and you know let's look at these beautiful photos of of lesbian weddings and and things like that and you can color in your rainbow flags while you're doing it um so what the again what the proposals look like is a real undermining of religious schooling the idea that there it's there but in name only um so that inquiry is going on at the, the moment as well and um yeah lots of opportunities to make your voice heard on that um on that one too I I remember very vividly, and you were in the cathedral as well, uh, the funeral of His Eminence Cardinal Pell, and uh, we heard the screaming George Pell go to hell and the, the drums, the beating, uh, and we were in there inside a fortress, uh, and uh, and we're hearing a war, a culture war out there that everybody knew we had to go and take the the strength and the inspiration of our modern um, George Pell, uh, a modern martyr of our time, and we have to go out there and fight. I think that's that's the sense that most people get. Um, but but this is this is absolutely an a persecution on all religions. This is a persecution on all religions. And let's go into some practical tools. I know this is uh, many people might be feel you know anxious about what's to come, the war ahead, the war that we all have to fight. But here on the Catholic Toolbox, we're about taking action, and we're not exempt from taking action to possibly prevent. We're here to prevent, to take action, to fight this to the end. Monica Dumit, let's go into some three practical tools. What can our listeners do now to take action before it's too late to hold the fortress? To hold yep, the foot um, of our civilization, of the church, of everybody else's right to practice their religion, which is basically our civilization. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I'll say is exercise your vote very, very carefully. So we will be coming out with voting guides and, and things like that to show you where the parties and even some of the individual candidates um, sit on these issues. There are forums happening um, all around the state over the next few weeks in the lead up to the election. So follow those. I can send George some some links to sort of throw under the um throw under this video. 
but make sure you know who it you're going to be in the link. If you're uh, subscribing to the podcast, it will be in the links below and it will also be, uh, we will put it up on the Catholic Toolbox page um, and other pages as well. On the, uh, yeah. So the first one, exercise your vote. The second one is exercise every religious freedom you have now. Do it well. You, you know, I always say you want to defend um, the confessional seal, then go to confession. You want to defend the ability of, of priests to preach the truth on matters of marriage and things like that, then, then you, you, you use your voice to do the same, right? Don't, it's much harder for politicians to try and take away your rights if, you're, if we're exercising them. So, um, yeah, keep going out there, living your faith, living the truth uh, of these issues. And then I think the third one I would say is be intentional now about the people who you worship with, who you're friends with, who your kids are friends with. Um, one of the things I say is I'd love to see us run like school holiday, school holiday programs or things like that, where you can, you're solving a problem for parents who need um, childcare during school holidays. And then we can make them, you know, solid schools of formation and evangelization and everything like that. Um, that'll take us outside of, of laws that are applying to, to religious schooling. Um, but where our kids are still getting the formation and the friendships that they need. So we need to be creative about how we get get our families together, how we raise our kids. Uh, yeah, I think sure this is going to be a war. Should this pass and uh, our Lord puts us through this persecution, we're going to have to craft very carefully, and I think we will, uh, also, uh, people who are truly faithful to the gospel and families who are, and it's already happening. I mean, it's been happening for 10 years. You can just, we, we all know the pockets. Everyone knows the pockets of strong uh, faith-filled uh, families and groups, everyone who's like-minded and, and we may have to just affiliate, you know, with and, and interact with them uh, to raise our children. It's not that we you don't go out, uh, we, we need to go out and do apostolate outside. But I think in these crucial times of raising our children, it may be that we need to stick together in those areas um, very, very carefully to vet basically who we associate with, the families we or who we put around our kids, who we hire in our schools or the different pockets of schools that people may send their kids to. Uh, there may be a handful. Uh, I think people know what we're alluding to. Um, but the first one, the first practical tool, uh, which you said, are we up to two or three? I'm getting carried away here. We're at three. So I, I said, exercise your vote. I said, live your, you live your religious freedom currently and be intentional about who you mix with, who you mix your families with. Um, and then if I can add a, you know, can I, can I add one more, which is. You can, also, I feel like we need more practical tools for this. <laughs> also pray for those pray for those families George you were just saying that you know everyone knows the solid families and the solid groups and stuff like that we also know so many of those families who have been through deep tragedy and deep trials while they're trying to live out this and so you know if, if this is if this is truly of God and, and of the truth and we also know that it's going to be attacked and the people who are trying to live this well will be attacked um at a spiritual so, level so here's a question pray what? for each other mm. sorry sorry I cut you off there uh but what's going to happen to financial planners? Uh, what do you what do you mean? So, so is that going to be considered conversion? <laughs> By advising, so are we not going to be able to give any professional advice? 
and then this is this is only around um this is this is only around the really important stuff like sex, not money. <laughs> it's purely an attack of uh, human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is only, and this only is. It's look. It's always about um, this type of stuff because it's so easily distorted, right? The the goodness um, of the human person is so easily distorted. Uh, but yeah, I, I I mean I really mean it by saying pray. You know, if you identify a family or people who are living this out well, then then increase your prayers for them as well. Um, and pray for your clergy um, because, you know, they'll be the focus of a lot of this and a, and a lot of these these trials and, and attacks as well. Um, back them up. And look, there, there are some great groups out there who are doing some wonderful work. Um, I always like to, to plug the Australian Christian Lobby, the Human Rights Law Alliance and, and others who are really out there advocating um, on on behalf of all faith groups, really, uh, yeah. So, and and stay informed. Read the Catholic Weekly. Can I say read the Catholic Weekly? Yeah. Uh, not because I'm trying to do a house ad, but because that's going to be one of the places where you actually find this spelt out how it's going to affect you, practical steps that you can take. Um, and how can people access the Catholic Weekly? I think it's very important. A big shout out to the Catholic Weekly. Uh, it's a great source of news. Um, there are some great, there's great material there every week, uh, whether it's the column uh, Question Time with Father John Flater, your column in the Catholic Weekly, Archbishop Fisher, different people, different lay people. Where can people access it and get, get a hold of it very easily? So catholicweekly.com.au um, is the website. Uh, it's on all of the different socials. Twitter, Insta, Facebook, all of that. Um, yeah, so just this is where you'll find uh, the most Catholic information about how these laws will affect you uh, and ways that you can act. Absolutely. Let's go to the first practical tool. This election is therefore very vital, is very, very vital for the future of religious freedom. So... I think where, where, when um, is material being released for uh, that, you, that you spoke about, about advising people about particular member um, candidates and um, parties as well, where they stand on this issue? Great. Well, uh, two things. One, I'll say there, is, there are some forums coming up. So there's a forum with the Premier on, um, on Ash Wednesday and then a forum with the opposition leader the Monday after, where people of faith in particular are invited to actually come in person and ask some questions. Um, there are another bunch of forums around the state with individual candidates from individual electorates and asking them questions. I'll send you the link so that you have all of that information. So they're, um, they're some of the key ones where you can do it in person. In terms of written materials, my hope, and depending on, on how efficient we are here, is that we'll have all of this information out two weeks prior to the election. Um, that's when pre-poll usually starts and, and we know that so many more people pre-poll now than, than actually show up on election day. I think last time it was about 50-50. So we'll try and get that out weeks in advance of the election so that you, whether you're pre-polling or voting uh, on the day itself, um, you will know, uh, you'll be armed with information. Um, and you know what? Uh, 
if you want more, ring up your local candidate and ask them. Ask them for their opinion on these types of things. Contact them. Let them know that the people whose vote they are seeking are actually interested in, in this information too. Uh, I remember in, in my book, I very clearly uh, wrote in a, in a chapter on Catholic political influence is that we, we, we need to take part in political activity. It's very, very important for all Catholics, all, uh, all Catholics to try and see if you're not going to join a political party, at least try and see how you can campaign or find a member which aligns with uh, our values very closely mm -hmm. and try we, we We can't stay out of politics. We can't stay out of politics. So we need to take action in that area. This election is very serious. I will be putting up those uh, links on the Catholic Toolbox page and on this episode uh, so that you can get access to all the information where we lay out each party, where they stand, each particular candidate, and that's being done as we speak. Um, and so we need to take action in that area. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very imperative. Uh, let's say let's say we do whatever side wins the election, whether it's the the government or the present government or the opposition. And let's suppose one side might be more conservative and is not backing this. Will this eventually creep in? Look at it. It'd be hard to resist it. It's it, you know, it's happened in where um, uh, the ACT, Victoria, Queensland, um, uh, so far, Tassie is going to push for it, South Australia is going to push for it, WA is going to push for it. Um, and so you'll end up like we were with, with abortion, like we were with euthanasia, um, where New South Wales seems to be the last holdout. But, you know, these people so are committed. They, are they you, currently in, in force at the moment? Has this been passed in Victoria? Mm -hmm. Victoria, Queensland and the ACT, it's all been passed uh, okay. to, to different stages. Victoria is the most extreme. Um, Tassie is looking to pass some very extreme laws as well. They're quite overt that not only do they want to ban you know, so-called conversion practices, but the teachings that underlie those practices. So Tassie's completely out there. Um, then there's, you know, WA won't be far behind, South Australia won't are be we far seeing, behind. Are we seeing currently any extreme cases where clergy are being mm -hmm. pulled up on this, let's say in Victoria or any other state that's passed it already? Not yet, not yet. There's some anecdotal stuff where you're hearing about parents who are, who are having you know, threats to have their children taken away from them because they won't affirm their gender dysphoria or things like that. Um, so this isn't just about clergy, this is about the role of parents as well. So so those types of things are, um, yeah, th those types of things are uh, being so, threatened. So this, by is what, what, this is what we're seeing, is gender dysphoria is being pushed through, let's say the schools when you're away from your children, and then when they come home, they may. This is this is being affirmed. The confusion is further being propelled, and then you can't you can't assert your values. So, you know, uh, I'm not here to promote homeschooling, but <laughs> or at least some <laughs> form of education, which, as you, as the primary educator of the parents, with people who align yeah. with your values. Yeah, look, I I think wherever you send your kids to school, whether it's a Catholic school, a government school, an independent one, homeschooling, or or you know, 
um, something else that you need to be involved in your kids' education and in what the school is teaching. And you need to control it, basically. You, you, you know, ask lots of questions, ask lots of questions of the teachers and of the principal about their positions on things like this. You know, find out what the school's policies are and insist upon your rights as a parent. Um, I don't know who else to do it. Like, I, I just, you know, gone are the days where you can drop them off at the school gate and trust that everything will be taken care of. So you actually need to be involved. Look at what homework they're getting. Look at what assignments they're getting. Um, you I know, think this where is you're sending them and um, if, if there is the opportunity for homeschooling and looking very seriously at schools that align with our values and we can personally trust the people teaching our children. I think now we have to micromanage as it should be being the primary educator you need to control now it seems it, it seems that's the case yeah well look, that's possible for some parents but obviously for other parents it's you know that's not possible some parents are just going to have to be able to send them to the local public school or the local public yeah. school or whatever that's fine i'm not you know there's no judgment there um and it's not you know and it really isn't we're talking about practicality here and sometimes for for a lot of parents yeah. who'll be watching this it's not practical so what can they do what they can do is actually get involved. Read what's in your kid's homework book. Talk to them about what, what they're being taught in class. Go and have a meeting with the teacher, with the principal, who with whoever it is, the pastoral care coordinator. Find out how they will deal with this, with these types of issues, how they how they anticipate presenting them to your child so that you're ready to have those conversations. Um, this is, you know, you get into the minds and hearts of children and, and you form them and you, you form the next generation. So. This isn't something to mess around with or to take lightly. This is, we're talking about moral duty when it comes to voting. This is moral duty when it comes to parenting, right? Um, yeah. So, Monica Dumit, what, what are your final words of inspiration? <laughs> let's let's Look, optimism here. <laughs> uh, what are your first, I'll apologise. George, I always feel like I'm coming on here talking about depressing things. One day I'll come, down, come on and talk about sunshine and lollipops and and things like that. Um, Look, we'd rather be talking about depressing things and uh, <laughs> weed them away or push them away and then we can laugh later. I'd rather yeah. not be laughing before the election, <laughs> but rather <laughs> afterwards when we have some kind of victory or some kind of hope. Well, I'll say this. Uh, for anyone who was at St Mary's Cathedral the other day, there were thousands upon thousands of people there. On a Thursday morning, work day, school day, you know, the middle of the sunshine, um, there to stand up and to give witness, uh, not only to not, not only there to, to pray for the Cardinal's repose, um, to give witness to the faith, but also sort of to be counted among the number who are who are there and willing to continue his legacy. One of the one of the most wonderful things I heard from one of the protesters giving an interview. Um, someone said to them, Well, why are you protesting? You know, you say you're protesting about same-sex marriage and abortion rights and and transgender rights and everything like that, but you've won. You've won. All the laws have changed. You know, the, the definition of marriage has changed. Abortion, you know, abortion being completely decriminalized. Like, why are you, why are you protesting? And they said, well, no, because there are still people there who are going to stand up for his legacy and who want to continue his legacy. And so we haven't won until while there are still people, um, while there are still people willing to continue his legacy. And they're right. They're right. And so I can say from our perspective, nothing's lost while we're still willing to stand for the truth. 
right? Like there's absolutely nothing is lost. The laws can change. The, you know, the cardinal can the cardinal can pass away, but nothing is lost while there are still people who are willing to speak and live the truth. Um, and Christ will be with us because he promised us that he would. Uh, so there's always hope. There's always, always hope. And, you know, let's get out. I, I've got a good, I've got a good fight or two left in me. I'm sure you do, George, too. Uh, and if anyone's born with us through the entirety of this conversation, I'm sure you do, too. So, hey, let's do it. It's time to fight. It's time to put on, um, pull up our sleeves. And it's time to get to work, um, to, to raise awareness now. Right, When do we have till the 25th of March for the election? Yeah, absolutely. So that, yeah. that's that's a big deadline. Um, all the school stuff and the law reform stuff I, I was talking about, that finishes a lot sooner, the 24th of February, but there'll be plenty of opportunities before and after then for yeah. people to make their voices heard. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. Thank you very much for being with me here on the Catholic Toolbox. Thanks so much, George. Great to be here. So thank you for tuning to the Catholic Toolbox. If you want to download the podcast, go to the Catholic Toolbox, wherever you get your podcasts on whatever platform. Don't forget to go to thecatholictoolboxshow.com to get your weekly newsletter that we release every single week. So thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Until next week, God bless. Take care and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Charity.